You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride Month. Yes, yes. Happy summer, all the things. It's a good feeling this, this, uh, this June to be able to just be in the city and to be able to be out and enjoy and not have the restrictions that so many of us have experienced over the last few years. Uh, it's really a gift. We're going to be starting our series this summer on parables, uh, doing a different parable every week of the summer. Lots of different people from our preaching boot camp and guest speakers and folks on staff. So variety of voices speaking into some of the different parables. Did you know that one-third of all of Jesus' teachings are parables? That's pretty substantial. So I think that, and the staff think that it's probably a good idea uh, to talk about the parables, right? Uh, we don't want to just skip over one-third of Jesus' teachings, even though they're actually really complicated and difficult at times, because very few of Jesus' parables does he actually interpret for the disciples, even when they ask. <laughs> uh, and so the parables are kind of interesting because they're usually stories or metaphorical examples that were based in a certain place and time that sometimes require a lot of context from that time to understand. Sometimes they're universal across time and space and cultures, but they can be really challenging. And for that reason, there's a lot of different interpretations about a lot of different parables uh, that sort of transcend both time and cultures and space as well as interpretations. So I think that it's kind of interesting to think about that, though, that parables, that while they're timeless, they're, they're all, often also easily misinterpreted or misunderstood. And I, I think that it's interesting that Jesus didn't just immediately interpret, because he could have, right? He could have been like, here's a story, now let me tell you what it means. But he doesn't do that over and over again. And I wonder if sometimes it's because it's an invitation for us who are the hearers and the readers of this story to be able to, uh, to read a parable and maybe we take something different away each time. Or we have different understandings or interpretations or meanings for us throughout different places and times in history. That perhaps there isn't always a set meaning to all of these. Or perhaps, depending on who is listening, they will find themselves as different people and characters in the story instead of just zeroing in on the one character in the story. For instance, like the prodigal son story, right? Everyone always talks about the younger son who screwed up and did everything wrong. When really, Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees, right? He's probably actually not talking about the younger son. He's talking about the older son who's so self-righteous. You see where I'm going here? And so you focus in on the interpretation on one thing, and all of a sudden, that's all people focus on, and they forget there are other characters playing a part in these stories. But for fun today, let's get into the weeds and let's talk about this parable of the weeds. Jesus, in, in, the, in the book of Matthew chapter 13, he goes through a bunch of different parables about plants and trees and seeds and gar gardening and farming, and then he lands in this space talking about weeds. So some of you may or may not have grown up in the tradition where you stand for the reading of the gospel, uh, and perhaps maybe even you read it out loud. And because we're an interdenominational church, and we, I love that we can just not have the same thing all the time, and we can change it up all the time, I invite you to, if you're able, to stand with me in spirit or in body, and I invite you to read this aloud together in one voice. For me, this always helps me comprehend it better because I'm forced to follow along. So let us read these words together for this morning's passage, and I'll step out of the way so I'm not in anybody's way. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in their field. 
But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put them... You may be seated. May the Spirit add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of this word. Now, you may have heard it said that this parable, see how I did that? And you may have heard it said, who else says that? Jesus. Jesus was always just buttoned up against the system. You've heard it said, but I say to you, so you may have heard it said, but I say to you this morning, that you may have heard this parable interpreted as, well, clearly this is about God coming back at the time of the harvest or the end of the world or when you breathe your last. And for those who are the good wheat, they get to go on off to heaven. And for those of you who are the evil and the bad week, God bundles you up and throws you into the fire, off to hell you go. You may have heard it said, but do you think I'm going to preach that this morning? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So why is this? Where, where could we go? What is another interpretation or perhaps understanding of this that's not also just invented in 2023, but also is an understanding of this text that goes and transcends long past our time today? Well, I think there's a few things to think about when we're thinking about parables and the interpretations of them. Reality is, is because Jesus doesn't often provide an explanation, we have to know this, that not everything in life is black and white. Not everything is cut and dry. Not everything is weeds and wheat. But actually, a lot of life is lived in the gray, which is why I think often Jesus doesn't provide a clear explanation for things right away after because I think Jesus is always inviting the religious leaders and those who were called notorious sinners. I love that. That should have been my grinder name back in the day. It, it's one of those things where I just honestly feel deeply that we live mostly in the gray. We honestly, we, we live in the gray. And the reality is, is that there is no space for people when we say this is either this or it is either this. And it can't be anything in the middle. And so I think that Jesus often is reminding us when he shares these stories that there's actually, there's actually a lot of gray. There's actually a lot of different colors of the rainbow this Pride Month that often get forget, forgotten when we want things to be either okay or not okay. There's a lot of things that are not okay for certain people based on where they're coming from or their experience or their presuppositions to addictions or their personality or their mental health that may be okay for others. But when you create these polar, these polar, these polar uh, extremes for rules and ex expectations, it actually creates an, an enormous amount of, of injustice, I think. So, how do we negotiate this space? How do we negotiate the differences here? I, I think that this story is really beautiful because I think it's an invitation for us to realize that we must grow alongside those who are different than us, than those who think differently than us, than those who believe and live differently than us. Much of life is lived in between this space. I wonder if Jesus chose to uh, preach one-third of his teachings through parables because it, it, it allows us to have a spirit of wonder, to ask questions, to reimagine, to re-examine without someone just providing us with all of the answers, with all of the directives. 
but it invites us to be a part of the process. Let's kind of look at this parable a little bit. It says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who planted good seeds in the field. So what is the kingdom of, of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? What is this? Well, some would say the kingdom of heaven is the afterlife. Some would say that, that this is the kingdom of God here in the now. Some would say that one day the kingdom of God will come crashing into our world and will be established upon the earth. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 4:17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or another interpretation of this is the kingdom of heaven is near or it is here. And I think it's interesting to use the word at hand because it, it has such a versatile definition that it's not, it's not just it was another place or it will be, but it is right now. It is all of those things. Again, there's the extremes. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Perhaps it's all of it. Perhaps it is both now, it will be, and it was, and it is for some and it is for others not yet. What if all of this could be true? Here's a really great quote from Rachel Held Evans, who's now left us great wisdom as she is experiencing the kingdom in new ways. She said, The kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed, Jesus said, that grows into an enormous tree with branches wide and strong enough to make a home for all the birds. It's like a buried treasure, a, a delicious feast, or a net that catches an abundance of fish. Just so you know, those are a bunch of parables and stuff. The... The kingdom is right here, Jesus said. It is present and yet hidden, imminent yet transcendent. The kingdom of God isn't some far-off place you go to when you die, but the kingdom is at hand among us and beyond us now and not yet. It is the wheat growing in the midst of the weeds, the yeast working its magic in the dough, the pearl germinating in a, in, in a shell. It can come and go in the twinkling of an eye. I wasn't going to go there. I ain't going to go there. Not, not today, Satan. It can, it can come and go in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus said. So pay attention and don't miss it. Don't miss it. So let us not miss the truth today. What could the weeds represent in this story, right? What could the weeds represent? Well, go with me here. Maybe the weeds represent beliefs or practices that aren't beneficial, that aren't helpful, that aren't good, that don't think about the equality and love and care for all. Perhaps the weeds are anything that's not loving, anything that causes harm. To the created or to the creation, which is my definition of sin. Now, what is the wheat? Perhaps the wheat is practices and beliefs that cause human flourishing, that are love. All that is love in the world. Reality is, is we know that we grow up and we live our lives alongside both what? The wheat and the weeds. The love, the loving things and the unloving things. The good and the evil and all that is in between that messes all up our definition of what is good and what is bad. Perhaps Jesus here is suggesting we, that we don't always know what is right and what is beneficial, what is just and what is good. But one day, one day we will all reach maturity where we will all see clearly what we don't see so clearly now. Maybe one day, that's what this story means when the farmers are like, well, should we rip up the weeds? I mean, I mean they, they seem like they shouldn't be there. They're kind of caught taking up space for the weed and they're maybe taking nutrients. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they need to go. Let's get them out and... The farmer's like, do you realize that if you start pulling that up, that the root systems are all tied together and the wheat's going to come right on out with the weeds? You can't just eliminate a certain group that you don't like or agree with and expect the rest of humanity to continue to flourish. For an eye, for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth will leave you blind and toothless and unable to eat steak. <laughs> That's my interpretation. Because <laughs> I really like steak. If there is an afterlife... I think that, for me, I'm looking forward to the day when I can stand alongside people who've come before me, people who I lived my life with, and people who, who, will, who I will never know for I will take my last breath on this earth before I ever meet them. 
And all of us looking at all of life and humanity and time and going, wow, I really missed the mark there. Wow, I really missed the mark there. Wow, actually, I, 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 I arrived there. I figured that out. I'm glad I did good there. And other people turning and going, wow, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I didn't see the humanity in you. I'm really sorry I missed the mark to love you well here. I had this trauma and this pain and this hurt in my life that made it difficult for me to love you the way you deserve to be loved. And this beautiful, what I picture as a beautiful moment when it says in Scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To me, it's not so much about confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it's confessing that, oh, I missed the mark so many times. I thought I knew it all. God, you know it all. And I see it and I admit it all now and I turn to you and I reconcile to you and I reconcile to those who've hurt me and it's one big reconciliation fest of just everybody realizing, man, we all had some wheat. We all had some weeds. None of us were without. And that self-compassion then extends to compassion to others. Maya Angelou says, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. What if one day we all see where we missed the mark and not just spend our lives focused on where others did? Regardless of how convinced we were that we didn't have any weeds in our field, one day I think we all will realize we do. One day I think we all will realize we do. And quite frankly, it was the religious leaders who thought they didn't have any weeds in their field that made them quick to pick up their stones. And Jesus, still, he still hung out with them. He still dined with them. Because I think he wanted them to know that even though they had a lot of wheat and they had a lot of weeds and they couldn't identify and difference the two, they were still loved. They were still beloved. They were still welcome at the table. And his invitation to them was to open their eyes and to see Jesus as Jesus was. Unfortunately, he was a weed to them and they plucked him out. So they thought. There's a beautiful story as well of a gentleman named Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. He uh, inherited some folks who were enslaved from his father. And as he was growing up, his father taught him that slavery was acceptable and okay, and it was a healthy practice that had been passed down for generations, and if it was wrong, it would have already been demolished. But clearly it was okay, otherwise God would have intervened by now. But as he got older, he really didn't believe that narrative. He began to experience things with those whom his parents had enslaved, and when he inherited those individuals, he decided he was going to free them. Now, he freed them, but he gave them an invitation because he realized how difficult it would be for them to find a job, seeing that slavery had not been completely outlawed. And so he said, you can stay, and I'll pay you a living wage. And then he took from that place some of the wealth that he inherited from his father, and he said, I want to open the first black and white printing press business for a paper. And he began to, dis to disseminate both authors and writers who were both black and white and began to share this message of liberation that he wanted in these papers. Now, you know that he met some resistance, don't you? Now, Berea College is founded on the land that Clay had donated after he died. It opened its doors in 1855 to students of all kinds, black, white, male, and female, and that was his expectation, was that a college would be open to create a level equality field across the races. Now, I hear that story, and I think it's pretty amazing, and I also realize he probably thought he was a white savior, and the words didn't even exist then for that concept. He said this in his, one of his memoirs, God has made a lot of, lot, of, lot of one blood all peoples of the earth. And when I read that story, 
I tell you, as I sit in the month of Pride Month, I stopped and I also dug some, did some digging, and he hadn't quite arrived yet as far as queer inclusion arrived. But guess what? I'm not throwing this baby out with the bathwater. I'm not pulling the weeds out, weed out with the weeds. Because you know what? As Maya Angelou said, he knew what he knew, right? He knew what he knew at the time, and you know what? That was a beautiful, and that was good, and he was ahead of his time. There's a lot of junk that Paul says in the Bible that I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, 2,000 years later, of course I'm like, oh, my goodness. Thank God we've made some progress past Paul. But what he said at the time, during that time, was really progressive, was really edgy at the time. It's hard for us sometimes to look back on history and to extend self-compassion and extend other compassion to people. When we sit on the other side of history of having many different experiences of being able to identify what the weed and the weeds are that many others didn't at their point and their privilege in time and history. I can extend this type of self-compassion because over and over again, I think about the times that I preached very hateful messages as an evangelical pastor. When I would get up every Sunday and I would tell my congregation, I would start my sermons with, you don't do anything but hell, but God. And I thought that was the good news. Maybe it is for somebody, but it ain't for me. Ellen DeGeneres, because, you know, it's Pride Month. <laughs> she said, I learned compassion from being discriminated against. Everything that's ever happened to me has taught me compassion. Because she realizes, I remember when I first came out, I remember for the first time, I had, I had I'd said this before, but I'll say it again, I, I was a white, straight-passing male. I know it's hard to believe, that's hard to believe. That's hard to believe that people would think I was gay, not gay. But I did. I passed, and I lived at the top of the, of the privilege pyramid. And when I came out, I lost a little bit of my privilege. And I began to experience what it was like to be discriminated a little bit. And I'm like, oh, is this, is this, what, is this what women were talking about? Is this what people who are disabled are talking about? Is this what black people were talking about? Is racism real? You know, I, I, literally, I literally, that's what I started to say to myself. I'm like, what? And I, all of a sudden, it was because I had experienced pain and rejection and hurt, and it caused me to take a step back and go, hmm, I wonder if some other people are experiencing this. I wonder what other people's experiences are like. Whether we see our weeds one day in the afterlife, or we see it now in the present, or we see it one day when all the future comes together, the kingdom of heaven is like a loving God who patiently and intentionally helps us separate the wheat from the weeds in our lives so that we can see God, we can see ourselves, and we can see others the way God always intended. This parable, D.A. Carson suggests, explains how the kingdom can be present in the world while not yet wiping out the opposition. You see, Jesus, as he shares this parable, he shares this to an audience of Jewish listeners, but I think he's sharing it with the realization that soon, Judaism will merge with Gentiles, that pagans and Romans, men and women, slaved and enslaved, the enslaver and the enslaved will all begin to try to come together to form this new religion. That the Nicodemuses and the Thomases of the Bible will all have to negotiate space and they'll all have to figure out how to merge this new thing and call it Christianity. And he shares with them, listen, you can't do this by uprooting the people who think differently than you, who have different traditions than you, who have a different understanding than you. Because if you did that, then the first thing that they talked about, which was circumcision, and if you had to be circumcised or not, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be a hard sell. It's going to be a hard sell to get people to come to faith if they have to get circumcised as adults. I wouldn't have done it. I just wouldn't have done it. 
thank God they decided, you know what, maybe we'll just leave that one off the books. Maybe that's some, some good marketing guy stepped in and was like, we're just going to not go there. We're just not going to go there. Ultimately, Jesus, he, he, he was uprooted. And unfortunately, many of us know that experience as well. We know the experience of being uprooted because our beliefs don't align with other people's beliefs. And I want to move us away from being quick to also do the same thing to others. I say it often and I'll say it again. Have you created a boundary with somebody? Have you created a boundary with somebody to protect yourself from being harmed or to harm them? Because those are two very different things. Messy progressive faith often means learning to accept the fact that we all have some weed and some weeds in our lives, but we must coexist with the difference while working towards restoration, not retribution. There will be a day when the mysteries will be revealed, when all the things we argue about and dispute about, and we try to understand or get others to believe, but it will all be laid bare. And what we see so unclearly now, we will see so clearly, and we will be fully known. Or as Paul says, I'm going to quote Paul, what Paul says, when we, what I see now through a glass half empty, I see clearly and fully. Joshua Scott says, what if we cared about people who are harming us enough to want them to change, just not to get rid of them and kill them off, but to see them liberated from their hate? What if? What if we could embody that kind of Jesus love? It's hard work. It's soul work. It's no thing in the whole world of our culture, secular culture, that will teach us that. Only our faith will teach us that. As I read this parable, I couldn't help but think about my own life. My mom's visiting this weekend. And there was a song, Angela, that you led, uh, I Will Exalt Thee or Exalt You. And we were both, I could hear my mom singing it next to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember as a kid standing in the assemblies of God, Pentecostal Charismatic Church, second to last row on the right side. And my mom was doing, would do sign language to the songs and, and I would just stand right close next to her, and we would just sing and, and, and just worship together. And so I just put my arm around her, and we just sang that song together out. And it was just like, whoa. And I just recently went back to Elgin and Illinois and visited the church where I grew up in. It's now closed. The new church is there. And so I decided that it's, it's been over a decade. And I thought it's time to step into that church again and just provide some closure and so I did, I, I went and I just pretended to be an evangelical and I <laughs> asked the new pastor to give me a tour and I'm like, oh, praise God, this place is beautiful, glory be. Uh, I just, I knew all of vocab came back, it all came back. He had no idea, I was totally passing. And <laughs> I had like a hoodie and a ball cap, I was, just, I was great. And so I, it was one of those things where I, I walked through and I thought, you know, it's, I've done enough work in therapy that I can be in this space today and I'm not angry. I have some really precious and special memories here. There's some hard things that happened here, and these people rejected me, and most of them took me right off of Facebook when I came out as affirming. But I walked through that space, and I thought, oh, man, my mom brought me here, and this is where I met Jesus. This is where I learned to love people who I didn't want to love. And that church was just so healing. And so as I stood up there uh, with my mom, we were singing that song, I just, I just couldn't help but refresh back some of those memories as a kid. But I also asked my mom if I could share a little bit of our journey today to wrap up our message. You know, in 2007 to 2009, my mom and I decided that I was going to go through reparative therapy because that's what we thought we were supposed to do in that tradition. And so I did reparative therapy, and then in 2010, when this didn't work, I decided to come out as single and celibate. My mom pivoted again, but this time dealing with even deeper grief because she realized that she may never have grandkids and I may never get married. 
So we wrestled through the grief and the sadness of that. I wrestled through the grief and the sadness of that too in my own ways. And then in 2015 when I came out in support of gay marriage and as affirming myself and I was ready to, to date, I told my mom and she was like, Jay, I've just seen how sad and lonely and miserable you are. I'm so glad that you have finally accepted yourself and have come to find a way forward in your faith. And I now had the privilege all of these time later, just last year, uh, to get married. And my mom was able to walk me down the aisle. And, you know, I look at that picture and I think that is a dream that we never thought would be. My mom never thought she was going to get to walk me down the aisle. I never thought. Journey. There was a lot of change. There was a lot of hardship. There was a lot of pain. And my mom said to me, not long after, before I got married, she said, Jay, you know, I never really thought anything was wrong with being gay, but I knew being gay was going to make your life a lot harder. And I just thought if there was any of these programs, any of these things that could make it easier, I wanted to put you through it. I wanted to help you. And that just goes to show you, we only knew what we knew at the time. We didn't know what the wheat and the weeds were. And we were thick in them. And it was hard. But we journeyed alongside each other. We stuck together. We changed. Some of us changed a little sooner than the others. Others had to catch up. Others of us had to grieve. And I had to grieve. And so I want to remind us of this as we wrap up this message this morning. And as we begin Pride Month, with a particular focus on this reality, focus on the family Dr. Dobson used to tell people when your kids come out of to reject them, to kick them out of the house, to discipline them, because then they'll come back to their senses. And I think sometimes in the queer community, we do the same thing to people who won't accept us, expecting the same result. Instead of figuring out what are the boundaries I need to be able to be in relationship with you still, but boundaried enough that I'm not harming you and you're not harming me. How can we journey to the point where maybe one of us will budge a little bit when one of us can see the wheat in the weeds a little bit more clearly. I always tell people when they come out and they want their family members or their friends to accept them right away, out of the gate I always say, how many years did it take you to accept yourself? How many years did you wrestle with questions and doubt and self-hatred and shame and anger and guilt and fear? How can you extend the same compassion to them? Or more than that, could you perhaps gain, give them the compassion you wished you had given yourself? Maybe it's not the LGBTQ thing for you, and I'm just highlighting it because it's my story and it's Pride Month. Maybe it's something else. You know what it is. You know what it is. And I want to invite us this morning to realize that dismissing, cutting off, canceling, doing away with somebody because they don't agree with you or they're not in the same similar season of life or they don't have the same politics or they don't see the world the same way as you, it's going to end it all. It's going to take the weed up right out with the weeds. I can't do it. It's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to journey in this life alongside the wheat and the weeds. And one day, God will send his harvesters and God will make it all clear to all of us. And in it, the kingdom of God will come crashing in and it will be what we always imagined. It'll be a human party of reconciliation and restoration. There will be tears. There will be laughter. There will be healing. For what we could not see at one time, we will all see clearly. Amen? Amen. I'm going over. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come, and we're going to move into the time of communion. Uh, as you see on both sides here, uh, we have...
gluten-free bread, as well as juice and solidarity with those who are in recovery. As you come to the communion table today, I want you to think about something and hold it in your spirit. Communion is like a parable because it's a metaphor. It's a representation of something else that's supposed to remind you and invoke a, remi a reminder in your spirit. And here's what I want you to think about. When Jesus first gave this communion on that very first evening, the, the bread and the juice, he's doing so. He's offering this parable at a time and space in history when people would offer sacrifices to the gods with the belief that the gods would consume their food. And so he says, listen, you don't have to offer food to the gods. I offer my body to you as food. Jesus is offering his blood at a time when he says in history, then the Jewish people believed that if you touched blood, you were unclean and unholy. And so you didn't touch blood. This is why they passed the man on the road, the good Samaritan, who was left, to the, left on the side because if they touched him on the Sabbath on their way to, the, to church, they'd be unholy. But Jesus says, today, I want you to drink my blood. Radical, subversive, resistance to the time of what was acceptable. And what I preach today, still radical, still subversive, still unacceptable in a divided and divisive world and faith. And so church, as you come today, I want you to take these elements and I want you to remember this is subversive. Resist the urge to rip up the weeds alongside the wheat, but instead learn to live in communion with them. For it is there that there will be flourishing and a great harvest. Come and get a little bit of wheat and get a little bit of juice. You are loved. All are welcome at this table. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.